All right, guys, I guess we can um, to our sermon, uh, which is from Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 11. So if you have your Bibles, um, please turn there, uh, chapter 11. Um, we'll go all the way to chapter 12, verse 8. So this is the second to the last sermon in Ecclesiastes. And um, I don't know what you guys talked about in your um, little breakout rooms, but uh, I think the, the the things that were mentioned, things that were exciting, whether it's celebrating a birthday um, or um, playing a game for the first time that you look down upon all this time. Um, <laughs> I won't say what game it is, but um, I think we oftentimes don't appreciate um, these exciting things, these fun activities in our lives uh, until we... Um, lose the opportunity to, to do it. Um, and that's the point of our passage today, actually. Um, oftentimes, um, we don't appreciate uh, what we have until we lose it, uh, whether it's um, a good health. Um, you, you get a cold, your nose is stuffy, and you are grateful for when you didn't have to sneeze all the time. Um, you sprain an ankle uh, and you long for the time when you can move your leg freely without any pain. Um, same is true with our youth, with our youth. Um, but sadly, by the time we realize that we should live our youth differently, uh, it can be too late. Too late. I remember reading John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, you might have read it, um, but I remember uh, the first chapter vividly. Uh, John Piper, as a youth, uh, he recalls seeing an elderly man at his father's church. I think it was after a service. And this old older gentleman comes up to the pastor, and he actually gives his life to Christ. Uh, he comes to know the Lord. But what John Piper remembers hearing are the words, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. And this man was looking back on his life, uh, and he was ashamed of, of the many years, including years of youth, where he was not living for Christ and for the glory of God. So begin uh, today from our passage, we, we must listen to the wise older man, and we must have his perspective because there is such a thing as uh, not living our lives to the fullest. There is such a thing as wasting our youth. So yeah, let's read from Ecclesiastes 11. Uh, the first section is verses one to six. And as we read, I'd like you to notice uh, a phrase that keeps popping up, um, observing the text. Uh, what, what phrase uh, pops out at you? So here we go. Verse one, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, 
for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. We'll stop there. So yeah, what is this phrase the preacher keeps using? Uh, it's, it's you do not know, or, or you know not. Um, what, what is it that you don't know? And, and this is a repeated theme that we've seen in Ecclesiastes, right? Um, and so we'll, we'll first look at three things that we don't know, and then look at our response according to this passage. So we'll start in verse two. What, what is it that we don't know? Well, we don't know the future. Uh, we don't know the future. That's in your notes. Um, we don't know if tomorrow a massive earthquake will hit LA or, or the Bay or wherever you're from. And we don't know if a severe winter storm will take out electricity in your stone, uh, in your home, like it has in, in many parts of our country with power outages. Verse three, um, you, you can make predictions. Uh, you can anticipate, you know, some things are inevitable. Like it says, if the clouds uh, are dark and they look heavy, it's going to rain. Um, it'll rain at some point. And, and if a tree falls down uh, in the south or in the north, wherever it falls, you know, it's, it's going to stay there. It's going to remain there. So some things are inevitable. But what you don't know is that if you're a farmer, and you've scattered your seed, you don't know when the clouds will come. You, know, you don't know when the rain will come. You can't control that. You don't know if there will be a strong wind that topples the tree this way uh, onto your field or uh, that way so that it destroys your house. You can't control that. So what happens? You might get paralyzed. You, know, you don't act. Uh, you, you fear failure. Uh, you fear your work is going to waste. So you, you don't take that risk. Verse four says, you observe the wind, you choose not to sow. You regard the clouds, you choose not to reap. You're waiting for the perfect condition. Um, and, and this is different from being wise about the timing of when to, to act. Um, because you, you're just waiting for better conditions, but really you're just telling yourself that um, so that you can excuse yourself um, for not doing what you're supposed to do. So you're characterized by inaction. So that's what you don't know, uh, the future. Uh, verse five, the second thing is you, you don't know how God is working. Um, and the example that he gives is you don't know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. And this is amazing. Uh, I, I remember talking with a couple sitting at a restaurant. Uh, my wife, um, or sorry, my friend, my friend, uh, his wife was pregnant uh, with her first baby. Man, that was like totally a mistake. Um, anyways, she, this, this, this person was uh, describing to me how incredible it is that, um, you know, she's not even doing anything really, uh, but this human being is growing inside of her belly. And, and maybe if, if you are a gal, uh, you're a woman, you've, you've thought of that before, like somebody growing inside of you. But, you know, as, as a guy, of course, that thought never occurred to me, uh, somebody growing inside of me. Um, but it's, it's crazy to consider. You're just eating, walking, doing what you normally do, 
And all the while, there, there's flesh and bone coming together inside of you, a, a living soul who is growing. You know, what, what can you say? The work of God is, is incredible. But the work of God might not always feel like that. Um, when you're pregnant and, and yeah, you're in your first trimester, you're, you're nauseous and, and throwing up, maybe even cramping. Um, that's what it looks like on the outside. Um, kind of a mess, you know. Uh, the pandemic, it, it's chaos. You know, what, what is God doing? Or there, there might be some tension or, or conflict in your relationship. You're thinking, how is God working in all of this? The work of God, it can feel confusing, uh, even frustrating, or maybe even impersonal and, and distant. But we must trust that he, he, that he is working. I mean, he is doing something wonderful, something incredible in the world and in our own hearts. And we just don't see it all. He is making all things new. So verse six, uh, the, the third thing that we don't know is that you, you don't know what will succeed. You can't guarantee success, right? Verse six, in the morning, sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So you don't know if option A or option, option B will succeed. Uh, maybe they will both fail. Okay, so what should be our response then uh, to the things that we don't know? Well, actually, the response should be to take risks in faith. Wisely take risks in faith. Um, to invest long-term from verse 1 in your notes, and also to distribute effort. Uh, we'll, we'll look at these separately. Uh, so let's go to verse 1. What is it that we should do? He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And then verse two, um, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Okay, so what does this mean? There are basically two main ways of understanding this. Uh, cast your bread upon the waters. So the traditional view is almsgiving. It's talking about being generous and, and practicing charity. So if you take this expression literally, cast your bread upon the waters, it, it sounds ridiculous. If, if you throw food into the sea, I mean, you're wasting it. So this interpretation is that it's a metaphor for giving to the poor to do good to others, even though it might appear senseless. In verse two, seven is the number of perfection and completion. So the idea of giving a portion to seven or even to eight, uh, that would be to give generously, over abundantly. So I think this is theologically true. Um, Jesus does say uh, in Luke 16, verse nine, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And in that text, basically the point is, you know, bless people with your money, your resources, so that when it fails, these people can testify to uh, the kindness of God in you. You know, they, they will welcome you and bless you. 
So the idea of, of giving charitably, um, it, it fits with what the preacher is intending here. Um, there is another interpretation. Uh, the second one is that this passage is talking about business, um, specifically trading overseas. Solomon knew uh, what this was, um, a bit doing business overseas. Um, if you look back at his story, there's a point when uh, the king of Tyre, uh, this king makes rafts out of, uh, out of timber, of, uh, of cedar and cypress. And so this king sends them out uh, by sea to where Solomon wanted them. Okay, Solomon in turn gives this king wheat as food for his household. So Solomon's doing business overseas. So in this view, the preacher's saying, send your bread, your, your commodity, you know, your money upon the waters. Go, go and do business, trade. Think long term when you invest. Why? For you will find it after many days. There will be a return for you. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. Um, in other words, diversify your trade, you know, your investments. Um, and, and you've heard this before. Um, if you put all your eggs in one basket, you know, then when the basket breaks, you've lost all your eggs. You, you've lost everything. And I think personally, uh, the second view fits the context of Ecclesiastes 11 better um, because there's language about work. Um, verse four, there's sowing and reaping. Verse six, uh, sowing again, and, and then whether that will prosper, the language of prospering. So, so I think the dominant idea is um, he's talking about working, working, doing business. But I, I would also say, you know, that the idea of giving yourself to others, practicing charity, that is a part of this too. Um, because in both working and giving to others, you're taking risks. You're taking risks. That, that's the main point. In the midst of uncertainty, an uncertain future, the things you don't know, you know, whether it's business, whether it's generosity, your, your intent is always to serve others. So let's take the idea of being generous, of practicing charity. So are you and I supposed to do good expecting a return because it does say cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Well, we know scripture isn't advocating transactional love, right? You heard that from the lighthouse pulpit. It's not about, I do something good for you. If you'll do something good for me in the parable of the, the great banquet, Jesus says, you know, don't invite your, your friends or rich neighbors because uh, they'll invite you back and they will, and they'll repay you. Uh, but Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, uh, the crippled, and you'll be blessed because they can't pay you back. And here's the important part. Jesus says, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So you give and you serve uh, without expecting a return from the person you're serving. Um, that shouldn't be your primary motivation. But Jesus does say to the rich, you know, for example, to the rich young ruler, sell all that you have set, uh, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You know, there will be a reward. There will be a return um, in heaven. That's really long-term investment. So 
again, I think the dominant idea is to do work, um, but the idea of, of being generous and, and giving to others charitably, that's, that's in there as well. And to sum it up, so cast your bread upon the waters. So it might look wasteful to reach out to this person and invest in that relationship. You might not get the return that you're expecting. You'll, you'll suffer short term. It'll cost you. You know, you're, you'll lose your time, your energy, your emotional bandwidth, your resources. But in the long term, you will get a return in a way that maybe you didn't expect. And give a portion to seven or even to eight. And also in verse six, in the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, withhold not your hand. Basically, the idea is to distribute effort. Don't focus on just one thing, one area of investment in your life. Diversify because, because that one thing might fail. And in all of this, the main idea is to, to take risks in, in faith. Don't be paralyzed by, by the fear of failure. And so it's like um, trying to turn your car, steering an automobile, because uh, when it's parked, um, you, you can't turn the car, right? The car has to be moving for you to turn the wheel so that it starts turning. So in the same way, you and I, we, we can't be um, inactive. Uh, we ought to be moving and we ought to be obeying for God to bear fruit in our lives. So Beacon, I want to ask you, what is it in our lives where we are failing to take risks where we should. Um, and it could be about like directly this passage is saying like, like your work or as students, you're studying. You know, for some of us, we might need to, to think more about how is it that we're preparing for work after college. But for other, others of us, all, all we do might revolve around work. Um, or, or getting into the best possible position for the best possible outcome while neglecting other areas of life, like, like relationships, friendships, family, our health, church, ministry, fellowship. We can be just one track. We, we sleep, we eat, we study, study, and study, or work, work, and work. So how are we distributing effort in all areas? of our lives? Are we in a state of inaction in some area of our life? Maybe we're waiting for better conditions, but all the while we, we miss that opportunity to, to serve someone well. Instead of addressing what needs to be addressed, we, we might even keep ourselves busy doing other things. And, and that could be because of laziness it could be because of fear. We look at the wind and the clouds and, and we don't sow or reap because we're afraid of failing. And I think at times failure, uh, we can treat it like this ultimate thing in our lives. Um, we can act as though failure is the worst thing that can happen to us. You know, whether it's um, failing a final exam or a, a negative review at work, or uh, we, we didn't get into the, the school that we wanted to get into or, or the work that we wanted, or maybe relationally with someone, um, something has, has failed 
a breakdown in communication or or this tension between you and a friend. And the reality is these, these failures uh, can keep us from taking risks again. Uh, we fear failure. Uh, we also fear discomfort. Um, the, the fellow person at church, maybe fellow Beacon student that, that we should reach out to, um, or the roommate that um, we should talk to about a pattern that we've observed in his or her life. Or it could be the unbelieving friend that we, we know um, we should give ourselves to. The Lord has placed this person on our heart. Uh, but we fear discomfort. We, we don't want to be hurt again, maybe. Um, we don't want to go through conflict. Uh, we don't want to go through the messiness of a relationship. But this is when we must remember Christ, who entered into our suffering, how he entered into our mess. Christ knew what he was getting himself into when he took on flesh. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He gave his life a ransom for many. This is what it means to serve. We will be hurt. We will be sinned against. We will be misunderstood and even accused as Christ was. But we did the same to our Lord, who is perfectly blameless. But Christ, knowing that this would be, knowing that we would sin against him, he, he came for us. And so his love for us should compel us to go. And not only that, our, our giving, he says, will not be without a return. And yes, we, we do store up treasures in heaven, but even now on this side of eternity, we will receive when we give ourselves to others in love. We, we will know, for example, the heart of Christ more. Uh, we, we will grow in compassion. And we can grow in kindness even when we are, are wronged. We are becoming more like Christ. But what is the alternative to taking risks and spending your life on others? What is the alternative? Well, for one thing, we can waste our youth because there will be a time when we grow older where, when we'll want to expend ourselves more. We'll want to invest in relationships, serve others, but we won't have the energy. We won't have the health. We won't have the ease of, of mobility to be able to do so. And maybe when we attend our, our friend's funeral, uh, we might even regret um, that the last conversation that I had with them ended in, in bitterness, never reconciled fully. What else is the alternative to taking risks in, in faith? I think most fundamentally, the alternative is that you're not really living life. Not the abundance of life that Jesus came to give. Jesus says that I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When you don't take risks in faith to, to give to others, you, you don't really know the depth of Christ's words, I will be with you. 
this promise, it can just be in your mind or, or, or some abstract truth. But, but if you don't take risks in faith, you don't get to see just how precious that promise is that Christ is with you. That's what you lose when you're not taking risks in faith and spending your life on others. Now the, the preacher um, at this point, he, he transitions to um, make another point about how we're to live, knowing that our, our life is, is full of enigma. So back to our passage, verses 7 and 8, these two verses, it, it sets the direction for the rest of our passage down in chapter 12, verse 7. So let me read it. Verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. And so light and darkness, they're contrasted as life and the the closing of life. So just like the light of the sun that brightens up uh, the darkness of the night, and and you wake up in the morning and and it warms your heart to see the blue skies instead of of dark and gloomy overcast weather, just like that, life is is sweet. It is pleasant. It warms your heart. You, You are to rejoice in life. And so the preacher, he expands on this theme of rejoicing in life in verses 9 to 10, verses 9 to 10. But he also says to remember the days of darkness, that they will be many. That despite the things that you, you don't know in this world, uh, what you do know is that you will suffer um, the debilitating effects of old age and ultimately you will die. And so the, this theme the preacher expands on in chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. As one commentator puts it, this is a summary statement. The wise person both rejoices and remembers during temporal life on earth. The wise person both rejoices and remembers during temporal life on earth. So let's look at the, the rejoicing in your youth. Verses 9 to 10, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Verse 10, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. If life is pleasant, uh, then you should learn while you're young to enjoy the pleasures of life, not to wait until you're old and retired to to enjoy it. Because you develop habits and ways of thinking in your youth, especially in your formative years in, in college. And you carry that into your old age. Ebenezer Scrooge might be extreme, but the reality is there, there are people in, in their old age who are miserable, who, who are discontent, because they didn't learn in their youth to enjoy the pleasures of life as a gift from God. But notice that in the middle of verse 9, uh, the preacher says something um, interesting. He says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. I mean, I say interesting because to me, that that sounds like worldly wisdom. It it almost sounds like follow your heart. How does this square with, for example, Numbers 15, 39? In that verse, um, God tells Moses to tell Israel, make tassels on the corners of of your garments. And so Israel, the Israelites are supposed to look at the tassels um, 
on, on their garments to remind them, quote, all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. Uh, that is a, a graphic description of, of what happens when you follow your own heart and your own eyes um, to, to whore after them. So if that's the case in Numbers 15, we know that the preacher, um, he, he's not giving an unqualified, you know, go and experience everything in your life to your heart's content. And we know this because he says, qualifying it, know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Enjoyment is coupled with accountability. Enjoyment coupled with accountability. And we'll flesh that out um, at the end of the message. But um, that, that's an important point. Um, but what do you do with the things that aren't pleasing, that you see and hear about in, in the news, that, that trouble your soul? And verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. You know, what happens if you sit down in front of a TV and watch the news all day? You know, what is that going to do for you? I mean, you and I both know that that is not going to help you live a joyful, fruitful, and active life for the Lord. It's going to lead you uh, because of all the, the, the chaos that you see and hear about in the news, it's going to lead you to despair. It's going to lead you to indifference and an I don't care attitude. It's going to lead you to laziness, lethargy, and even bitterness. But the preacher says, right, in chapter three, that there is a time to mourn, right? We must mourn with those who mourn. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we know that, that there is lament. Um, that is something that we, we must do because lamenting is the pathway to trust in God. So in verse 10, it, it's talking about a, a, a kind of dwelling on evil, a brooding on it that is wrong. I mean, this could be not just the, the evil that happens in the world, but it, it could be with your own sin as well. It, it, is, are, you, are you prone to unhealthy introspection? So this is going beyond a proper self-examination um, where you, you spend so much time dwelling on your sin, wailing over how bad you are, um, but you're not looking to Christ. Um, and Pastor Tim, our counseling pastor at Lighthouse, has said this, but for every one look at sin, take 10 looks at Christ right? For every one look at sin, take 10 looks at Christ. Because if you don't, you will be morbid. You, you will be miserable. And you're really not trusting in the Lord to sanctify you. It becomes all about you. But instead, we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. All right. And we ought to do this um, before we grow old and we can no longer fully enjoy uh, these pleasures of life. And that's what he gets at in chapter 12. He says this in verse one, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And notice that 
the preacher, he, he doesn't say just God generally. He doesn't even say the Lord, all caps. Um, so this isn't a message just for Israel, right? It's a message to every young person. Uh, the, the word he uses is creator. Uh, the one that, that you are accountable to. Um, the one who created all good things for you to enjoy. But notice that it's not just the creator, it's actually your creator. You're meant to enjoy a relationship with him. God is not far off and distant, and he's not someone who just gives you good things on earth at the beginning of time and then just leaves you. But, but those good things that you experience in the present, they're meant to cultivate a deep and worshipful relationship with him. And, and this is what makes this section different from pure hedonism. Because it, you know, kind of sounds like that, but it's it's not the same, um, and it's because you remember your Creator in the gifts that you enjoy, and you do that while you're young. Um, Ruthann and I, uh, we've actually been reading a book called "Before the Coffee Gets Cold." Uh, it's uh, a national wait, um, best-selling book in Japan, um, and it's a time-traveling book. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if, if you've read novels like that before. Um, I am not a huge fan of fiction, and so this is a good thing for me. Um, but this book, um, I hope you guys, I hope I don't ruin it for you guys, but uh, it, it follows four different stories of individuals going back in time. One story follows an older couple the husband is a gardener and the wife is a nurse. And you can tell they, they really love each other. They, they know each other's quirks. Um, what, what's tragic, though, um, is that at one point, the, the husband starts to lose his memory. And in the present day in the book, he, he comes to a point where the husband even forgets who his wife is. Uh, but, but she's a nurse. And so she's committed to be by his side uh, and take care of him, even though he no longer recognizes her as his wife. Um, and this lady, um, she finds out that uh, the guy has actually written a letter. Um, and at one point, before his memory starts to get worse, the guy was intending to give his wife this letter. And this is significant because... Um, he is a gardener. He didn't have a great education, and so he could barely write. Um, so the wife, and she, she hesitates about going back in time to read this letter, uh, but in the end, she, she ends up doing that, and um, she's, she's reading this letter. And uh, Ruthann and I, we're actually in the middle of, of reading that letter and uh, we, we read out loud, actually, take turns doing it. Um, and it was my turn reading. And like, I, I usually don't tear up, but I just could not continue <laughs> reading that letter. Yeah, we didn't even finish that letter. So I don't know, you know, at what point we'll pick up that book and read it again. But it, 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 it was just so sad, right? It's, 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 it's just overwhelming. Um, but that's exactly what aging can can do right um it can rob people of 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 their memory 
memory of their loved ones. Uh, and, and I don't know personally if, if you know someone in your life, um, a relative uh, who has Alzheimer's or, or, or dementia, um, but that's, that's what aging can do. You, you lose your memory. Uh, you, you feel pain all over your body. You know, you, you can't eat as much. Um, so many things that are taken from us. And we need to feel this in order to appreciate our youth. Um, we need the perspective of the older person. And so he says in chapter 12, uh, I'll read from verses 1 to 8. Um, and before I read that, notice that I mean, there's, there's so much imagery going on here, um, but don't get lost in the details. Um, and honestly, it would be hard to interpret what every image is alluding to. Um, but this, this section, it's not, it's not primarily meant to give you information. It's meant to make you feel something. It's meant to make you feel uh, just how dark the evil days will be. Um, aging, growing old, the debilitating effects of that, and culminating in, in death. So I'll read it. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So let's look a little bit more um, deeply. You know, verse two. The sun and the light and the moon and the stars, they're meant to give you light, but they don't anymore. In Israel, um, you have rains in the fall, in autumn, but right after that, in the winter, you have cold, cloudy days. These things are picturing the coming of death. Verse three, um, you have everyone from the upper class to the lower class, everyone is affected by this. Verse four, even business is affected. Economic activity in, in the community is drastically slowed. And there are even birds that are scavenging low on the ground. Verse five, um, this is likely a reference to old age, fear of high places, because you don't want to fall, right? Um, terrors on the road, because traveling becomes difficult. You, you can't protect yourself. The almond tree blossoming, that's likely a reference to, to the white hair of old age, the grasshopper dragging itself along. That could be how, how elderly people, they, they walk uh, with a stiff gait, right? It's hard to walk. Um, desire failing, 
that's likely uh, your sexual impotence. You can't really feel the pleasures of, of sex. Um, and, and verses two and five, it culminates with this sobering reality of, of death. Man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Going on to verse six, uh, it shows the calamity of death. You have these luxury and, and practical items. Um, and, and these items, they are beautiful, um, but they can easily break. Just like human life, right? Human life is beautiful, but it is fragile. Human life can be useful, but it can also become ineffective. And then in Genesis 3, um, we know that the creator has, has, has said that judgment, we are dust and to dust we shall return. And that's how this section ends. Um, but then he says the spirit returns to God who, who gave it. And the preacher validates what he said at the very beginning of this book. Um, yeah, all, almost all translations have vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Uh, but we've looked at how that doesn't mean everything is meaningless. Um, the, the, the point that we've looked at this whole time is that human life is, is full of enigma. You can't understand it completely. You can't control it. Um, but it is an enigma, and it is ultimately a divine gift from God. It's meant to be enjoyed. Okay, so at this point, um, I, I want to answer a question that I think is um, necessary for us to think about, and it'll be, I hope, profitable for us. You know, as Christians, how do we enjoy the things of earth without loving the things in the world? How do we enjoy the things of earth without loving the things in the world? Uh, to say it another way, um, how do we enjoy God's good gifts but avoid self-indulgence. And to put it simply, it's this, um, it's this idea that the preacher's already brought up. It's enjoyment with accountability. Enjoyment with accountability. We see this picture in the Garden of Eden, right? Um, because God tells Adam, Adam, you can enjoy, you can eat of every tree of the garden except this one tree, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, in chapter two, verse nine says, God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. In other words, th this is a paradise of yes and a single no. Um, and the Lord, he says, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, so there is judgment. Right? There's accountability. So what happens with Eve? Well, um, she sees that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. And that's what happens when you dwell on what's forbidden, what, what's prohibited. And, and you don't take God at his word. And you start to hear the voice of the serpent and, and you begin to doubt the goodness of God without even realizing it. You, you think that he's not really for you. He's against you. He's only concerned with himself. He's being self-protective. He's withholding something good from you. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. You can't really trust him. And so you, you start to think, you know, wh why can't I have this, God? 
Why can't I have this relationship? Why can't I have this internship? Why can't I have peace and quiet to do my work, to focus? Isn't that a good thing? Why can't I have some just conflict-free, tension-free relationship with this coworker? Aren't these good desires? Why are, are they withheld from me? But that, that, that's what happens when we, we take our eyes off of the abundance of good that God gives to us. Um, and we, we look at what we don't have, what we're not getting. Um, we, we become blind. Um, we, we trust only our senses, our own reason to, to think um, this is what's best for, for me. In effect, we become like the elder brother in the, the parable of the prodigal. You remember that the older brother, he says to the father, you never gave me a young goat. And what does the father say? You are always with me. All that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. So we ought to enjoy um, the gifts of God because we get to know with full confidence just how good God is when we do that. Okay. Um, there are four more principles, um, as you can see in your notes, um, to help us answer this question. Okay, I get enjoyment with accountability. You know, I should uh, know that the Lord will bring everything to judgment. Um, but how do I know when the thing that I'm having um, enjoying um, goes too far, right? Um, so at this point, um, I'd like you to, to think of something that you like to do for fun. Uh, what do you like to do to relax? Now, this could be something you do on your own. It could be something you do with others. You know, maybe you like to play video games. Maybe you like to read light novels. Uh, maybe you follow sports. Um, maybe you play sports. You exercise, you like to jog, you like to go hiking. Um, you watch shows on Netflix, uh, Hulu, Disney Plus. You like to cook. Maybe you like to bake cookies or pies. Or you like crafts. You macrame. Uh, you like to go on boba runs. Uh, you like trying out new restaurants, shopping, uh, browsing on Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram. Okay, what do you what do you do for fun? So, if you have that, just think of yourself doing it. So, four principles. One is: Are you thankful to God for it? You know, does it contribute to your worship? Because Colossians 3, verse 17, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We ought to be able to give thanks to God for being able to go for a jog or to be able to play a video game or to be able to do macrame, right? Um, 1 Timothy 4 three to five talks about um, Paul's addressing this group of people who were forbidding marriage and, and requiring abstinence from food. Um, but he says this verse four, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. 
So whether it comes to marriage uh, or food, uh, we ought to receive it with thanksgiving. Um, and, and we usually say grace before our meals, right? But are we also giving thanks for the fun uh, activity that, that we're doing? Um, and, you know, whether it's before or afterwards. John Calvin, uh, he writes, desire is bridled when we acknowledge that all things given to us are given in order that we might know their author. We have to acknowledge um, and, and how do we acknowledge? Well, we give thanks to God for this, right? And it's for a purpose so that we know the goodness and the kindness of God. So for the activity that you're thinking of, can God be invited to whatever you're doing? You know, can you give thanks to God for it? Why not? Is your conscience bothering you? So my own example is I share this uh, last week or uh, in a breakout room, but something I like to do um, is when I'm studying or in the afternoon when it's hard to stay awake, um, I, I try to eat something, right? Eat snacks uh, so that I can stay awake and get work done. Um, but, you know, there are times I confess when I, I just eat too much and I, I feel sluggish and heavy, right? Um, and that might sound like a silly example, but I think it um, proves the point. You know, I have a hard time afterwards giving thanks to God for that. Um, or when I was younger, uh, I used to play this game called Grand Theft Auto. And if you've heard of it, you know what it's about. You know, the point of the game <laughs> is to rob people, to, to shoot them um, you know, to, to run over people by driving over them. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, and, and what's hard is it's all lifelike, right? It's not like Super Smash Bros. where it's, it's all fictional and crazy. Anyways, but th there's no way that, you know, growing in the faith that I could give thanks to God for letting me play this game. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, I think you get the idea. Second principle is, uh, does it lead to other sins? And does it lead to other sins? Because the things that we do for legitimate pleasure, they can become the context in which we sin, right? Uh, let's say that um, you're playing some basketball uh, and you get annoyed by this guy you're defending because this guy is talking smack nonstop. You know, he's, he's cocky and, and he's not even that good. Um, so you get so frustrated that when he's going for a layup, you just shove him real hard, you know? Um, so obviously that's not good. Um, or maybe you're, you're playing a board game with friends and, and you lose. And instead of affirming what was good or, or just, you know, congratulating the winner, uh, you, you pout and you even make mean comments. And you're like, this is a stupid game. It was a waste of time. Um, so obviously these examples can go on and on, right? Where the context of our leisure, um, it, it can uh, be the grounds for, for sin. And it doesn't mean that we stop playing basketball or we stop playing board games, right? It just means we need to be sober-minded and know ourselves. Um, and two helpful questions, I think, that will... Um, help with self-examination is, 
you know, what are you seeking in it? What are you seeking in that activity? Uh, I have a friend who confessed to me once about playing this game on his phone where in order to get better, you, you have to actually pay money for, for weapons or items. Um, and this game, you, you play with other people. Uh, but it got to a point where um, he, he felt convicted because as a husband, um, yeah, he felt like he was spending money that he shouldn't have been on this game. So the point I want to make is uh, this game became another context for his struggle with the fear of man. Um, for him, he, he liked the approval of others on the game. And so that's what kept him going. You know, what about for you? You know, is there something more than legitimate pleasure? Have you noticed patterns in your entertainment choices or activities for fun? For example, uh, the praise of man, right? Because you usually do stuff that you're good at, you know, whether it's sports um, or music or baking or crafts. Uh, you, keep, you might keep going back to the same group of people um, because you desire how they make you feel good about yourself more than you want to use that to love them well. Well, maybe what you're looking for is escapism, right? To, to avoid having to deal with responsibilities or relationships in your life. And turn, turning to pleasure is the way that we deal with disappointments and, and frustrations um, instead of remembering gospel truths to help us deal with those things. Another question um, is how has a good desire become a ruling desire? If you're playing a game, does it make you angry uh, that you lost? Um, it's, it's good and it's fine that, you know, we want to win, you know, but, but has winning this game become more important than showing kindness uh, to the other players? Can you let it go of the activity when it's a matter of loving someone else? And let's say you're watching a show and your mom or dad or apartment mate knocks on the door, asks you for help with something. You know, if, you, if, you, if it means loving others, can you let it go? And that's how you know if it becomes a ruling thing. Okay, third principle. Um, does this activity inhibit you from thinking on eternal realities? Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And we need to keep reminding ourselves, um, like uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31, says that this world in its current form is passing away. And John says this too in 1 John 2, 17, the world with its lust is passing away. It's, it's passing away. How are we cultivating a greater longing for heaven? How are you caring for yourself spiritually? What are you feeding uh, your senses? What are you putting into your mind? Because there's something wrong if there's no desire to be with the Lord in his word reading good Christian books, literature, devotional sermons, podcasts, blogs, fellowship with God's people. So um, you should be excited about something that's fun, right? I mean, um, maybe after you finish studying for classes, you look forward to you know, just 
chilling and then watching an episode of um, a TV show that you, you watch. But the, the question is always, is your mind consumed by it, right? Is, is this what your mind drifts to when you have a still moment? Are these things crowding out space in your minds for spiritual food and nourishment? Okay, fourthly, last one. Can this activity be shared with others? Can it be shared with others? And I, I ask this because we have to be cautious of anything that we do alone. Proverbs 18 verse one says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And we have to be honest with ourselves. There is no accountability when we're alone. No accountability. It's too easy to be caught up with what you find pleasing. And then you're, you're stuck in it. And scripture tells us we were made for relationships. So I, I want to ask, can we share that activity with others? And with hobbies that we do alone, um, can we do it with the intention of blessing others? Whether it's a book that we read or videos that we watch on our phones, is our intention, can it be to, to bless others? So to conclude, Beacon, what are you spending your time on? And more pointedly, um, how are you stewarding your youth? You know, we ought to enjoy the legitimate pleasures of life because, because that leads to worship. That's how you experience the fullness of life. But you know that you live in a sin-cursed world of folly. Like Francis said last time, folly is prevalent. It is everywhere. You live in a world where the devil, uh, the world and your own flesh, they're all working against you. Our entertainment culture wants you to get sucked in on pursuing your own pleasure. So we must always be on the alert. We cannot waste our youth. So take a sober self-examination of ourselves. How much of our time is spent watching Netflix or playing video games or browsing social media? What, what is it that you do too much of? These things, it, it, they can help us recharge, right? We can enjoy these things and recharge, but um, they can also make us numb, right? If we're overly sensitized by them. Life, life is so much more than these things. So can you consider other ways that you can enjoy the abundance of God's goodness? Can you consider other ways where you can show God's goodness to others by, by giving yourself for them? Let's enjoy life by receiving and giving. Begin. Let's recharge and, and spend our life on others, serving them for the sake of the gospel. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is meant to give us life. It is meant to give us joy. 
And we find our, our joy when we fear you, when we live for you, when we look at ourselves less and look more at Christ. God, we want to decrease and we want Christ to increase. So help us, Father, help us, God. Even in our discussion, would you make it go deep? Would you make it fruitful in our lives? Uh, Because we need each other, Lord. We have blind spots and we need each other uh, to, to bring these to our attention. I pray that we'd be humble. pray that we'd be gentle. I pray that in, in all of it, we would seek to, we want the highest good for our friends, God. We want each other to know Christ more. So help us to that end, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.